Welcome, everybody. We're glad you're back with us. Um, tonight is the final session for this season. We are going to break for the summer after tonight, so I thought tonight would be a fitting night to actually do a recap of chapters 113 because I loved ending the first section of what we did in chapter 13 because, I mean... You know, the last line of it is, and the man's name was 666. What a greater, best way to finish the book of Revelation, because it's the most controversial and the biggest contested scripture there is in this book. Guys, we're a little loud at getting a ring, so I don't know if you can take that out for me. Um, but, so, as we begin this, we're going to go back to one. So, I hope that you have your little notebooks with all of your notes in it, so that you can go back to the very, thank you, Ken. Ken just showed me his, that's great. Because what we're going to do is we're going to go back to the very first one. If you don't have them all, you can let me know afterwards and I can see if I can find them all. I think that we had most of them back there in the back. But um, it was the first three or four weeks when we went through the beginning of the book. And then we went through all the seven churches and we were bouncing around a lot. And so it was, and then there was a crazy man that tried to preach on a Sunday morning on two churches at once. Pergamum and Thyatira, which was crazy because of the way that those two were misbehaving. But we tonight is going to be an interesting evening because I want to break down and do a kind of like a recap or a, somebody else called it a redrill. I don't know why I would call it a redrill, but of, of all of the chapters that we've gone through thus far. Um, we're building the foundation for the I really wasn't going, I thought of this line and I wasn't going to use it, but I think we're, we're tonight we're going to do a little bit of revelation on revelation. Had to do it. I thought, I just thought, I thought it was funny. So we're going to look at the first chapter. So as we look at this tonight, let's look at the very first chapter. Because as you remember, if you have your first week notes, I had a couple of different um, notes in your little pages that look like this. And those things I wanted to have bring up the thought that please understand this book, the book of Revelation, had a lot of controversy before it was actually allowed into what we call the Bible or then known as the canon of Scripture, a gathering of Scripture that was supposed to agree and understand the truth of God. And in the third century, it was Eusebius who decided that it has dubious honor of being in all categories of dispute, accepted books, rejected books, and questioned books. And it did. It was in all four of those categories. And each, as they were deciding what books went into the Bible, they had those four categories. And if you looked at this book, it was disputed. Yeah, okay. And some accepted it. Then some rejected it. And others just questioned it. But this is the only book in all 66 books of the Bible. This is the one that had that, that dubious distinction. And so that's what made it so interesting. The other thing was we wanted to look in chapter 1, we wanted to look at Revelation as a letter because it was written for a specific reason. Remember, John's on the island of Patmos. God says, I want to reveal to you something. He opens up the heavens. He's looking into the kingdom of heaven. And now all of a sudden, John helps us to start to see that things are not as they seem to us as humans. Then we looked at Revelation as the prophecy, which was in the last 150 years the most popular look at this book. Because everybody believed, for the last, especially in the last 90 years, that this book was the one that was going to tell us how Jesus is going to come, when Jesus is going to come, what it's going to look like, what we have to go through, what we don't have to go through. It was going to give us all of those things as long as we looked at it as something to happen way off in the future. And what we found out was this book, remember, is not in chronological order. This book is, remember what we called it? Cyclical, which means you're going to get flashbacks here, flashbacks there. There's going to come back. It's going to remember something. And you're going to have a lot of flashbacks to four books in the Old Testament. Who can name the four? Ezekiel. And say again. Daniel. Isaiah. Oh, okay. 
I'll let you guys look that up and see who can email it to me for a free Starbucks gift card later. Now then, so as we looked at it as a prophecy, then we looked at, we're looking at a revelation as an apocalypse, which means that it's in a whole lot of different literature that helps us to understand things like they did in that day. They were used to looking at apocalyptic literature, and though, although we, weren't, we are not used to looking at it as dragons, beasts, numbers, things that were going on, they were used to that, and they could understand it much better than we could. We had to understand that there's a lot of symbolic language in the book, didn't we? We understood that. Um, by the way, there's, oh, I almost gave you those. I'm not going to do that. Phew, I almost messed up and gave away the answer to my own question. So then on the, the next thing we understood was there were um, some conventional apocalyptic symbols, some apocalyptic symbols that different books, the Book of Enoch, Book of Tobit, um, the Sibylline Oracles, there's a lot of books outside of the Bible that still use the same language that are in this part of the, our Bible, in the book of Revelation. And they used all of those as methods of communicating messages to people to let them know, listen, God is real. He is all power, almighty in the universe. He sent his one and only son so that you could come to him and spend eternity with him in heaven. That was their main message. And they did that through different things. They used different colors, white, meant purity red obviously meant blood very good um, and you had different colors that meant different things then he they used a lot of animals remember the animals the Im animal imagery was very common in all of apocalyptic literature no matter whose it is either greek roman biblical not biblical it was all different they would always use animals um, for instance you could either be good or bad such as the lamb versus the beast the lamb being Thank you for, I'm so glad you all know that. And the beast being, the red dragon being, very good, I'm so glad. Hey, you guys heard me. I'm excited. Um, that's very cool. All right, numbers. They rarely express, the numbers in it throughout this book rarely express a literal amount of time. Remember, it's more of a symbol. For instance, uh, 1260 days is how much? For three and a half years or 42 months. And that's mentioned a lot of times through this book. But it's not just mentioned in this book. Um, there are two other books that it's mentioned. And I almost said the other name because then you would have known. I didn't do that. So it is mentioned in the other books. Then there has been traditional symbols. Horns equal power. Very good. The stars are the angels. Very good. So what happens when something has a lot of eyes? What is it they have? Knowledge. That's right. They do have the knowledge. Somebody's got their notes in front of them, I can tell right now. So no, you don't get points for this when you're reading it off a page. The last thing is, then you'll see somebody has a lot of keys. What are the keys? Huh? For those of you on the stream who didn't hear Miss Jeannie Massengill, she said... Uh, they, when they have a lot of locks, they have a lot of keys. So, yeah, there you go. All right. No, keys are the sign of authority. Because remember, the ones who hold the keys have the authority to let you in or out or give you a uh, connection to it. Then we have, we, if we were to take the book of Revelation, and there are a couple of sections where it would be really cool to write plays or dramas about this but it would be in our day and age would be very expensive with the computer graphics it would take so if you were looking at the book of revelation as a divine drama you need three components don't you you need the characters you need a plot and then you need the scenes you need to be able to describe the scenes so let's look first at the main characters of the book of Revelation. So first off, you know you need two ultimate foes, don't you? You've got to have two people that are in there. So the first foe is him who sits on the throne is? Actually, it's God himself, right? And then you have the dragon, Satan. That's very good. And then you have the personal agents of those ultimate foes. So the personal agents being the lamb... There you go, it is Jesus. And then you have the beast. And see, nobody ever got the name for the beast, did they? Does anybody remember? I mentioned it a couple of times in a couple of lectures. We're going to see it a lot more here coming up. 
But you might want to remember Apollyon. Remember those names? Apollyon was one. And then there's also Beelzebub. There's a couple of names mentioned there. We'll get to those later on. You'll get to see those. And if you do have the book of Enoch and Tobit, you will see that a lot in there. He, they, meant, they talk a lot about them. There also, yeah, there's some earthly followers. You have those who dwell on the earth. The non-believers, that's absolutely correct. And then you have the saints. Not from New Orleans. Somebody sent me a text that says, yeah, it's from the guys, you know, from New Orleans. What, Bill, you don't know your football? No, it's not those saints. It's you. It's those who have the Spirit of God sign on their forehead. All right, corporate symbols. There is a couple of corporate symbols in this too. The bride of Christ. The church, there you go. And New Jerusalem is another one. That's another corporate symbol they have. The New Jerusalem that you're going to hear about when we get to chapters 19 and 20. Then you have the corporate symbol for the other side of the lake, and it's called harlot, the harlot, or Babylon. And those are the two symbols that it is. So then that got us through chapter 1, and, and we started to read a lot about who Jesus was in chapter 1. It says, grace to you, peace from him, who is and who was and from, come to, from him who sits on the throne. To him who loves us, has freed us, our sins. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So we know that in the first chapter, God himself speaks out and lets us know, okay, John, you have one job. Remember what he tells them? He says, John, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take everything you see and I want you to write this down. Write down everything you see so that others will see. And I was in the spirit in the seven churches. And when he said this to me, I knew. He turned and he was speaking to me and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands was one like a son of man. The lampstands representing the seven lampstands representing Thank you, seven churches. Very good. And in chapter 2, then we start to take off on the churches. And then we get to the, we start to understand why he was saying to some of those churches. Remember, so for instance, the first church in Ephesus. What is the one line that everybody remembers about the book of the, the church at Ephesus? That you, yeah, and what is it? You've lost your first love. That's the one I have this against you that you've lost your first love. That is always the one thing that everybody remembers about the book of the church at Ephesus. But the church at Ephesus did a lot of good things. They really did a lot of good things. However, it wasn't long lasting for them. They came back eventually, but it did, it did take a little bit of, let's say, convincing from the Lord. And, and in that second chapter to that church, you see it. And after then, you see the church at Ephesus. Then the next church that you see, you find out, is the church at Smyrna. And remember, they, they also had a problem with, they said that you were having a problem. I will come to you soon, the hidden man. I will give him a white stone and with his name written on the stone. And no one knows except the one who receives it. Remember, the white stone from that church was the fact that it was clearer than a diamond brighter than the brightest sun and yet it would have the name a special name only from God to the person who received that white stone I hope I get one of those white stones I just want you to know then we learned about the church in Pergamum now the church in Pergamum the church in Thyatira these two remember had the two towers and remember what was going on between the two towers the satanic rituals of, of all of the sacrifices that they were doing and all of those things. And the churches themselves, remember what he called them. He said, you, that woman Jezebel. Was that because they were not holding on to those, those truths that God gave them. And they were allowing this evil to persist even in their midst and acting like it was okay. And God was telling those two churches, saying, look, and you can't have this kind of evil going on when, when you're trying to sit there and tell us what it means to be a part of God Almighty. Well, when we get to, <laughs> when we get to Pergamum, we understand there's two promises. To those that, that, that I will give the bread of heaven, the bread of life which comes out of heaven and gives life to the word. Jesus is asking, why live for food that does not satisfy? 
Amen? We want to know why that is. And then when we get to Thyatira, then he says to them, look, this, I will not lay any other burden on you because you have done this yourselves. Don't stay humble. Do not do everything. Do not know every truth. Stay into the word of God. The things that we learned from Pergamum and Thyatira were simply this. The evil one will do whatever he can to sway you, to persuade you, to make you leave who God is, to make you leave your love for the Lord. And now that we've seen chapter 12, that great battle that just took place, we know for a fact that the whole reason he's doing it is because he was thrown out of heaven. And John makes that very clear in the, in the 12th chapter. But it, when he was talking to Pergamum and Thyatira, he says, you keep putting up with that woman Jezebel. You keep putting up with the one who's in the background trying to tell you, you know what? You just got to put God and Jesus in this compartment. And then you got to put, you know, the outside world stuff, the business stuff, the things you have to take care of every day to keep your income coming in. It's okay. It's just business. It's not personal. Anybody ever heard that before? Yeah, me too. And we get to the point where we, we start to hate ourselves and feeling guilty because as we compartmentalize, remember that was the big word for those two chapters, as we compartmentalize God and put him over here and say, okay, on Sundays and on the days when I'm doing the Lord's work, I'll be in the Lord's presence. But on the days when I know I have to go do business, I'll go to the parties, I'll do all the other stuff. And, you know, but they're in two different things. And this woman Jezebel was teaching them, don't you worry, Baal and Jehovah can be worshipped at the same time. They're both the same. Folks, there is only one God, Jehovah Almighty. There is only one. And one of my favorite lines is when, <laughs> in Lord of the Rings, when the wizard is getting ready to fall after fighting a big evil demon and he looks at him and he says God does not there is one who does not share power with any other and he slams his staff on the ground and he creates an earthquake that helps him get away and it's astounding to think that we as Christians sometimes allow a fear to make it so that we are not able to do the things that God would have us do. I know none of you are like that, but I have this in my life, where that every once in a while, the fears and the, the drudgeries of the day, the battles of the day, the things that are hurting the most, they make me start to waver. They make me start to say, I'm just so tired. If I just give up and quit doing some of the things I'm doing, then maybe it'll get easier for me. Those thoughts don't come from the Holy Spirit. Now, resting is one thing. Giving up is another. So when you think about the compartmentalization process and what it takes to do that, we realize that we do have free will and have a choice, don't we? We can either choose to get up off those sore knees and stand up and keep going. And sometimes, by the way, that keeping going means that we take time out. We get replenished by God. We, get, we, we had a friend, a staff member here, who just went on a, on a week's vacation with her husband to Maui. And they had a wonderful time. It wasn't the easiest of times, but they had a wonderful time. And I'm so glad that they got to go do this because they feel refreshed. They feel renewed. You know, the Spirit of God just, it, it, it lifts you up in those moments. And then the first thing the enemy wants to do is try to drive you, knock you back down. So we get to the end of the third chapter of Revelation and what we see there is the fact that the believers in these cities were, were, were being ostracized from the Jewish synagogues because of their commitment to Jesus and the, Jewish, Jesus, uh, the Christian believers who in Jesus were trying to say, oh no, you still have to follow the laws of the Old Testament, which was making Paul very upset and Paul does a whole lot of dialogue through his letters in the fact that no you don't there is only one God and one son of God in Jesus Christ then we get into chapter 4 in Revelation 4 we get to see a picture into heaven amazing that it is 
because you hear the sound like a trumpet. Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the spirit. And behold, a throne stood in heaven. With seated on the throne was him who was above all. He had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. After the, around the throne was a rainbow that looked like an emerald. Before the throne was 24 thrones. Where there sat the 24 elders. Remember what we talked about. 12 tribes representing the Old Testament. 12 disciples. And John is writing this down. And I have a friend who said to me, Bill, how can that be? If John is writing it down, isn't there only 11 disciples? Anybody remember who the 13th apostle is? Paul, the guy that said that is the one who asked the question. So he kind of cheated. He knew. But I'm just saying to you, remember, Paul is, was, was also. So as John's writing this down, he's seeing the 24 thrones of these 24 elders. They're, and as they see, they, they bow down. And all through this, this book, we see where the elders fall down and lay down and just fall prostrate before him. Blessed is he who stands on the throne. And, and all of the living creatures that we see throughout this thing, you see... Um, four living creatures who are around the throne at the time. You have one full of eyes in front and back, which means they knew what was going on. The first living creature looked like a lion. The second one looked like an ox. The third living creature had the face of man, and the fourth living creature was like an eagle in flight. And of the four living creatures, each of them had six wings, had eyes all around, and within day and night they never ceased to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who is, who was, and who is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who seated on the throne, they always made sure that, they un that everyone understood it is all of heaven giving glory to the one. Worthy are you, our Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created, giving no doubt to the things that John saw as it, heaven was opened up and he got to see into the throne room. And then we get to chapter 5, which is very cool. Chapter 5, we get to see who was seated on that throne. We get to see him who, I saw the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, God himself, and he has a scroll. It's written within on the front and on the back, and it is sealed with seven seals. Remember the seven seals. Mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break, break its seal? And no one on earth or heaven was worthy. And John began to weep loudly. And this is the first place that we get to see that when we're in that heavenly place, how the angels will interact with those who were on earth. Because remember, although we are on this earth and we are the ones that used to be part of those who dwell on the earth until we came to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, didn't we? And then once we got saved and we were here and the Lord was blessing us and we were feeling and knowing the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, now we are those who are written with the, in the book of eternal life, aren't we? And we're written with the ones that we have the seal on our forehead that only those around us can see because they see the Spirit of Christ coming out of us. And he says, who is worthy? And we couldn't find anyone on earth. And, and I began to weep loudly. And one of the elders walked up to comfort me and said, weep no more, John. Hold on, man. It's cool. Relax. I just wondered, did he hand him a hanky? I just thought I'd ask, but I didn't know. And he said, behold, because the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. So he can open the scroll with its seven seals. He probably won't even strain to do it. Just, you know, take his fingers, open up the scrolls. So what's the big deal, guys? Here, which one do you want to see first? And as he opened those seven seals and the seven scrolls, we began to see different things, didn't we? Because remember what the first four seals were. The four horsemen of the apocalypse, of the unveiling. Worthy are you, they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take and open this seal. Worthy are you, the four elders began to say. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and honor and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and the sea saying to him who sits on the throne, to the lamb be blessing, honor, glory, power, and might forever. 
and the four living creatures said amen. Now remember, the four living creatures are different than four angels. The four living creatures, the Zoa, is, is, is how it is described in the Greek language, are, are those living creatures who are beyond um, the ability to describe. Beyond description is what it actually says. And they are so beautiful in stature and grace that nobody can even talk about and describe them to anybody. They're just known as the four living creatures. That's why they're not called angels in the book. And I keep trying to ask other pastors when they're talking about the four living creatures around the throne. They keep saying, angels, please understand, these are more than just angels. These are very special beings created by God himself. And that's, that's when we get into, that was from Revelation 5. Now, <laughs> Revelation 6. Remember, this was the start of the fun time. Because Revelation 6, he starts to open up the seals. And he says, I opened the first seal. What do I see? I see a white horse and rider come out. Everybody thinks that's a great thing. It's a white horse. White is the color of purity, right? So it's got to be something good. The rider, wait, why does the rider have a bow and an arrow? And he's given a crown, which means the rider on the white horse in this instance is not Jesus, folks. I know a lot of people say, oh, it's Jesus. No, the reason that this horse is white is because he wants to appear as an angel of light or an angel of white. You go ahead and pick. Because he came out to conquer. And he came out to conquer who? Mm -hmm. Remember? Those who would not listen. The second seal then is brought up in chapter 6. A bright red horse and rider. And the red horse was given power with strength. The rider was given power with a long, large sword. Permitted to take peace from the earth. Reason? That people might slaughter each other. Right? Then we have the third seal open. A black horse and rider came. The black horse or black was being the cover of evil or darkness. We knew that as contrast to the light. He's given a pair of scales, a balanced scales. And he's using scarcity of wheat and barley to create and tell you about a famine of food. Do not harm the oil and wine, he says. Keep the things that keep those who dwell on the earth in the high thrones and riches happy, we'll say. Because that's what wine does when you drink enough of it. It makes you too happy. Remember that, wine drinkers. The fourth seal. <laughs> a pale horse and a rider. Now, the pale horse rider's name is Death. This one wasn't hard to figure out. This one was pretty explanatory. And Hades followed him. Death and Hades were given authority over one-fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, famine, plague, to kill the wild animals of the earth. So the four horsemen who were given those in the first four seals were the ones that were then told, wait until it's the right time. Because if you'll remember in chapter 10 and 11, they were then given, okay, it's okay to go now. Which tells us one thing. Nothing can happen even in the underworld and those who, who sit on the throne, the evil beast, the dragon, everybody in that kingdom of darkness. Nothing can happen there without God's permission. Nothing. They can't do anything without God's permission. You have the fifth seal. And remember the fifth seal was the souls of the martyrs under the altars. The souls of those who were slain by the word of God, for the word of God, and for the witness they showed in the testimonies they gave of Jesus. And they were crying out from underneath the throne, How long, O Lord, to God himself, before you judge and avenge our blood against those who dwell on the earth? God's response, each martyr was then given a white robe. And said to them, rest. Wait till another number of martyrs is complete. Your brothers who would be killed just as you had been. 
Because God at that time knows that there will be martyrs who step in front of the sword, who set it for the sake of, of knowing the Lord God himself and will proclaim Jesus just as Stephen did uh, in the 8th chapter of in the 7th and 8th chapter of Acts. The sixth seal comes up, cosmic upheavals. You have the great earthquake. The sun was disturbed. It becomes dark. It became black as sackcloth. The moon was disturbed. It became red like blood. Stars were disturbed. They were starting to fall to earth as a strong wind shakes a tree and, and unripe figs fall to the ground. The full moon became like blood. Heaven disappears from sight like a scroll rolled up. Every mountain and island shaken from its place. And every powerful being, all of those kings, every great king, one's generals, and all the powerful begged for death. And it would not come. Begged the mountains, fall on us and hide us. And it never happened. Hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne. See, in the end, guys, God wins. That's just it. There is no power except the power of the Almighty God. Then we get to chapter 7. And remember chapter 7, we have two scenes. And those two scenes literally are what we call the interlude. Because all of a sudden we've got six seals. We know there's seven seals and only six have been opened. And we're all saying, wait, no, we want to know. Go ahead and open the seventh seal. We want to know. And then all of a sudden God says, yeah, but wait, there's one more thing I need to show you before you see all the seals opened. It's called the interlude and it's there for a, a, a reason. I heard the number of those who were sealed. <laughs> and he says, it was 144,000. Remember about numbers, not exact. Then the four angels, oh, this is the chapter, we're in chapter 7. This is the chapter where the four angels from the corners of the earth given power to harm the earth and the sea. Holding back the four winds that no wind blows on earth and sea and trees. Another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, coming from the east, having the seal of the living God, commanded the four angels, you cannot harm the earth and seas until the time which I give you. Until we have sealed the servants of God, of our God, on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 from every tribe of Israel. You could say 12,000 from each tribe of 12 tribes. That's the 144,000. Then there's a second scene. And after this, I looked and behold, great multitude of that no one could number. So now it's more than just the 144,000. Because he says, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Crying out in a loud voice, they said, salvation belongs to our God him who, and to him who sits on the throne. And all the creatures were standing around the throne, the elders, the four living creatures. They fell on their faces before the throne of God and worshiped him. Saying amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving, honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then. One of the elders addresses John again, seeing that the beings from heaven are actually engaging with the humanoid standing there looking at all of this. And he, the elder said to him, who are these who are in the white robes? Now, I find that interesting because it's not like he doesn't know. It's like, dude, you're one of the elders. Uh, that's you, you live here and you see them before and you're asking me who they are i'm this is my first time here man i'm a brand new newcomer to all of this i don't know tell me who they are and then i said to him sir these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation tribulation remember the word thalipsis extreme pressure they came out of the times of extreme pressure. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. A friend of mine in college once, well, he's a friend, 
wasn't necessarily a believer, but he said to me once, he said, okay, here's one of the places it doesn't make sense. You can't wash your, anything in blood and have it come out white. <laughs> Again, apocalyptic literature. Because what happens when you wash yourselves in the blood of Jesus? All your sins are forgiven and you are seen from God as pure white as snow. And there's lots of songs and psalms and scripture to back that up. And that's where that comes from. And so it says, when they were washed, they washed their and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For they are the ones who are sealed by God himself on their forehead. So everybody says, where do you get that that's a seal on their forehead? And remember, I want to explain. You're not going to see a, a, a bronze plaque across your forehead. That might hurt, especially when they put the rivets in. But what you will see it's the Spirit of God that comes out of somebody who loves Jesus. Amen? Amen? They're not perfect all the time. Nobody is. And we're not saying that we go through, we never go through hard times. What we're saying is that when we do go th through hard times, it's not a crutch. What it is is a guarantee that our Savior never leaves our side. And we get, a, we get a position where that we're in Jesus' name. And we get a, a point of understanding that even though we go and walk through the valley of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. You are my God and my strength and my shield. And he walks beside us and he holds us. Even when we feel alone and dark, he is there. Therefore, they are the number, they are before the throne of God. Serve him day and night. Him who sits on the road in verse 15 in chapter 7. They shall hunger no more, nor neither thirst. The sun shall not strike them or any scorching heat. Verse 17. For the lamb will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away their tears. Everybody says, but chapter 7 is such an interlude and scary. And then you get to the end of it, 15, 16, and 17. If you were going to memorize any scriptures, dear family, that would be the verses to remember. He will wipe away their tears. Then we get to chapter 8. And he says, when the lamb opened the seventh seal, there was immediate silence in heaven for half an hour. Amazing what silence sounds like, isn't it? Because we sometimes as Western Americans, we don't like a lot of silence. Unless we're at home in bed and want to sleep. But other than that, we're always trying to hear news, hear stories, hear things from people. And yet God, before he does anything else, and he's, you want to know why the 30 minutes? To get somebody to say, wait, give me a minute to talk to God and to hear him. That's why I challenged you with the six-minute challenge. Go into your prayer time, stop, and just listen for God. If it turns into a half an hour, oh, have fun, because God's going to be talking to you. Then you have to get up after the half an hour, and you've got to think and write all the stuff down that God told you. And tell me, that's not easy. I can promise you that. Because then I have to go the next night and go, okay, God, I'm starting over again. I have my, my time. I need you to tell me everything you told me so that I remember make sure I write it down this time. Wait, that's a different message than I got yesterday. And you have to realize that God is going to talk to you every time that you ask him to. But he wants you to listen. That's why we have the silence in heaven. Seven angels stand before God and seven trumpets are given to them. <laughs> so now we start with the seven trumpets. We just finished with the seven seals. Another angel with a golden censer, a big gold ornate looking thing that holds a lot of incense. And he was given much incense to offer the prayers of the saints. Romans 1 and Ephesians 1 are your two chapters that if you want to, want to read about some of those, those prayers offered of the saints. Smoke and incense rose before God 
from the hand of the angel. In verse 4 and verse 5, the angel that filled the censer with fire from the altar. And see, here comes the hard part. Because in verse 5, he says, he filled the, fi he filled the censer with fire from the altar. Then he threw it on the earth, and there were pearls of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. And we begin to see that the trumpets of God that are announcing these things are little more intense than the seals were. Remember that when we come back in the fall. Because when we come back in the fall, we get to talk about the bowls of wrath. So if it went from seals a little bit worse were the trumpets, the bowls. A total of seven, but four in this chapter were, were the trumpets were a total of seven, but there was four in this chapter. Um, hail and fire mixed with blood from the first trumpet were thrown upon the earth. The second trumpet, something like a great mountain burning with fire came down from heaven and one third of the sea became blood and one third of the living creatures died. One third of ships destroyed on the earth. One third, one third and one third. Interesting. Third trumpet comes along in verse 10 and says, Great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, named Wormwood. It fell on one-third of all the rivers and springs. Many people died from bitter water and turned that turned to Wormwood. The fourth trumpet came in verse 12. The fourth angel blew his trumpet. One-third of the sun, moon, and stars were struck. One-third of their light might be darkened. And the day was kept from shining. And an eagle flew out and flew over and crying in a very loud voice. Whoa, 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 whoa to those who dwell on the earth. At the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. In other words, if you thought these first four were bad, Wait till you see the next three trumpets. Then we get to chapter 9. Two trumpets, two angels, and the first woe he calls. A star fallen from heaven to earth. We was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke and a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened. From that smoke came locusts, given power like scorpions, only harming people with no seal of God on their foreheads. Isn't that interesting? They were allowed to torment for five months, but not kill them. That's interesting, the five months. Yeah, You're gonna, we're going to see about that later on again. They were able to sting with pain like a, stork, like a scorpion. People will seek and want and desire death. They will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. Then in verse 7 of chapter 9, like horses prepared for battle with crowns of gold, the locusts appear. Faces like humans, hair like women, teeth as a lion with breastplates of iron. Noise of their wings were like chariots going to battle. The tails that sting like scorpions with the power of five-month pain for people. Their king is the, is the angel of the bottomless pit who has two names. He has one name for in Hebrew and one name in Greek. In Hebrew it was Abaddon and in Greek it was Apollyon. Remember those are the names. And then he says, the eagle again announces, the first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are about to come. The sixth angel and the trumpet. The voice came from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying, release the four angels that were bound at the river. Release to kill one-third of mankind. Mounted troops two times, 10,000 times, 10,000. I think that comes out to like two and a half million is what that came out to, if I remember right. Horses had heads like lions, breathing fire, smoke, and sulfur. By three plagues, one-third of mankind will be killed in verse 18. 
The power of the horses is in their mouth. Their tails are like serpents with heads, and by them they wound. And a very sad verse in verse 21. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of their hands or their murders, their sorceries, or their sexual immorality, or their thefts. That's a very sad verse. The seals in chapter 10, let's talk about those. In chapter 10, I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head. His face was like the sun, his legs like pillars of fire. You can look all through Daniel and find out almost these same descriptions, by the way. A little scroll is in his hand and he set his right foot on the sea and his left on the land and he called out with a loud voice like a lion. When he did, seven thunders sounded. And I, John, began to write down. And he said, God said, him who sits on the throne says to me, seal up what the seven thunders said. Don't even think about writing that down. That's, that's the Greek phrase in it. Don't even think about it. We do not get to know everything, folks. I don't know why we continue to try to completely explain every word from this book. Some of it we need to take by faith and understand that God, the one who, who wants to wipe away our tears, is the one who has our best interests at hand at all times. The angel standing on the sea and the land raised his hand to heaven, swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and sea and all that is, that he would know more there would be no more delay in the days of the call of the trumpet by the seventh angel the mystery of god would be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants the prophets and a voice from heaven came to me and said go take the scroll that is open from the hand of the angel who's standing on the sea and the land and I went to the angel in verse 9 and told him, give me the little scroll. Now here, let me, let me ask you. Okay, so I'm a little human being. This is a giant angel in heaven. And then God tells me, go over there and tell him to give you the scroll. I'm thinking, I'm going to go tell an angel who has all kinds of... Do you know what he's going to do? God, you know, this could not end well for John. I still have a lot to write down. We might, you know, think about this a minute. But John doesn't do that. John just walks over and says, give me that scroll. What is wrong with you? Because he has the word of the Lord behind him, doesn't he? God told him to do it. He had no fear. He didn't walk up there and say, the big guy over there, he's kind of, you know, he said to me to come over here and, and could you, um, could you um, hand me the, could I have the scroll? That's not what John did. He walked right up to him and said, give me that. What are you thinking? God told me to get it. Give me that thing. God said it. I believe it. And that settles it. Give me the scroll. And as he went and he took the scroll and he said, okay, I got it. And the angel said, take it and eat it. Wait, what? And it's going to taste sweet as honey. Oh, that's good. Oh, but it's going to make your stomach really sick, by the way. But that's okay. You go ahead and eat it anyways. Did John hesitate? No. Because it was God again, once again, telling him to do it. I ate it. Tasted sweet as honey, just as the angel said. And then in verse 10 he says, but it made my stomach very bitter. In the original language, it made my stomach want to not have anything in it. I'll leave that there. You must again. And then in verse 11, in chapter 10, we're almost done here. In chapter 10, in verse 11, he says, you must again prophesy about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. Just because I told you not to write down what the seven thunders said, you're not done yet. No matter how old or how far you've gone or what you think you've done, when God says you're not done, you're not done. Even though some of us want to retire and go fishing in the, you never mind. 
but I'm okay with it. But fishing in, you know, the Snake River would be awful lot of fun. Two witnesses in Revelation 11. I was given a measuring rod and told, rise up, measure the temple of God and altar and those who worship there. Do not measure the court outside the temple. The amazing part about this, by this year in 96, there's no temple for him to measure. Everybody says, oh, they were, he was given that precise size of measuring rod that they all used that was like four cubits or whatever it is to go measure the temple. Folks, there is no temple. It wasn't a building he was talking about measuring, was it? What does the scripture say about our bodies? It is the temple of God. When he's told to go and measure the temple, it's more about measuring the spirit of God in the spirit of man. Does the spirit of God measure up to what it should be in each individual? And when he says, do not measure the court outside the temple, because remember who's outside the temple? The non-believers. Those who dwell on the earth. They will trample, it don't, it, they are given over to the nations and they will trample the holy city. And then he says, I will grant my authority to the two witnesses. Remember the two witnesses, the olive tree and the lampstand. Two of them. Two of each. They will prophesy for 1260 days, clothed in sackcloth, meaning that they are going to be in a state of repentance. And they were calling people to repentance. Why only two lampstands? Do you remember why? Remember the lampstands, there were seven originally. Why? Does anybody remember why only two? Amen. It was that they, God had no grievances against two of the churches in those seven churches. Remember five, he said, but this I have against you. Only two he did not. So it's those two he makes his witnesses. Those are the lights that are shining. And why the olive trees? How do you hold up a lampstand? How does it keep burning? You got to put oil in it. But then because those lampstands are then taken they are they are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand they have the power to shut down the sky and they have the power that no more rain may fall during it and they have the power to turn waters into blood remember we talked about four people in all of scripture who could have been these two witnesses one was actually Zerubbabel he was being considered in in a lot of scholarly um, research one was uh, Elijah one was Enoch, and one was Moses. So there are four possibilities there. And I have had, since I gave my opinion, I've had lots of people saying to me, yeah, Bill, how can that be? Because remember, my choices were Elijah and Moses. And why is that? Is because the one who had the power to shut down the sky for 42 months, that's from 1 Kings when, Ezekiel, when uh, Elijah did it, and the one who had the power of t turning water into blood, that was Moses and the plagues, right? For then these bodies were the beast that rose then, a beast that rose out of the bottomless pit. After these witnesses were uh, witnessing for those 42 months, the beast rises from the bottomless pit and he makes war on them and he kills them. The amazing part is those bodies lie in the street for three and a half days. In symbolically the city called Sodom and Egypt where their Lord was crucified. The, for three and a half days people will gaze at their bodies, refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. Verse 9. Those who dwell on the earth will make merry and exchange presents and have Christmas in, in days because the two prophets have been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. That'll teach them. Those witnesses want to be tormenting those poor people who are just sinning whenever they want to. But then God says, okay, we're done with that now. And he takes his breath and he breathes down on those two witnesses. They stood up. A couple of them had to brush off some dust because, you know, dirt got on them a little bit. Great fear fell on everybody who saw this. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, come up here. Was God saying, okay, you guys are done. Quit showing off down there now. Come on up here. Yeah, I made up the quit showing off. On, that's not in the scripture. Come up here. And as they went up in a cloud, 
The enemies watched in verse 12. And at that moment, an earthquake hit. A tenth of the city fell and 7,000 people were killed. Which means there's how many people in the city? If a tenth of them is seven, it's 70,000. I think I can figure that one out. And then all of a sudden, a voice comes and says, the second woe is past, the third woe is soon to come. Verse 14. Finally, the seventh angel blows his trumpet. Dave, I'm going to go a little bit over. Sorry, brother. He said, seventh angel blew his trumpet. There were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever. We give thanks and glory to God Almighty, who was and is, who have, you have begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants and prophets and saints, those who fear your name, both small and great, and destroying destroyers of the earth, verse 18. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the Ark of the Covenant was seen, and there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. All of this happened as a, the last and final woe. Isn't that interesting how the final woe starts with all, everybody saying, glory to God, the God Almighty who was and is and who is it you have begun to reign. But then he says, yeah, in verse 18, yeah, the nations raged, but your wrath came and time for the dead to be judged. That's why it's called a woe. To all of us, we're celebrating with the angels. The kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. I'm not going to sing the Messiah oratory right here, but I could. This is where it came from. So I did then, all of a sudden now in verse 18, he says, Yeah, by the way, all of you who dwell on the earth, who keep refusing to repent of all those things we said back in chapter 7, now you're realizing how much power there is in the name of Jesus. This is where it comes to play. That's chapter 11. Verse 12, chapter 12 comes. We see the great battle. And as the great battle hits, the greatest line, <laughs> the greatest line in all of chapter 12, there's one line that is my favorite. And I will read it to you right now, and I'll tell you what verse it is. Um, chapter 12, I think it's verse 5. No, she gave birth to the male child. Oh, no. Okay. Verses 7 and 8. Here we go. Chapter 12. Now a war rose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. There you go, my favorite part. But he was defeated. And there was no longer room for them and a place for them in heaven. So they got thrown down. I mean, not a great, we don't get a great description of the battle or anything else. But they were defeated, so he got thrown out. That's the end of it. God's done. Guess what? You lose, you're done, you're out of here. And all your minions with you. And they all left. And then last week we had chapter 13. We saw the beast rising out of the sea. From the red dragon calling him up. Then we saw the beast that rose out of the earth. So let's make sure we understand this. We have the father in, in heaven. You have the father God himself. Jesus the son and the Holy Spirit. And now the unholy or the counterfeit trinity, you have the red dragon, devil, Satan himself. You have the beast from the earth and the beast from the sea. So you now have an unholy trinity. Isn't it amazing how evil tries to copy God to deceive his creation? We get to the chapter of, of, of chapter 13 and it talks about those two beasts and all the things they were saying about God and who God and they were it. And then it says, at the end of it, it says, and it also it causes all, both made and grow, both rich and poor, both free and slave, I'm in verse 16, to be marked on the right hand or forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. Last verse, 18. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. For it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. And that's where we ended last week. The 
the number in gematria or Greek numerology, I guess you want to call it. There is all kinds of ways. You can put, put the word gematria, G-E-M-E-T-R-I-A, and you will find out that um, in the Greek, Egyptian, Hebrew languages, they have, uh, their numeral, numeral system has certain letters that equate with certain numbers. And just so you know, only one name in all of history has matched 666. And everybody kept, keeps saying, didn't tell us who it is, and it's Nero. And they say, but he doesn't meet all the qualifications. Oh, you're right. So if it is Nero, it would, be, it would take a lot of work to make sure that Nero was the final beast. Do we know if there's another beast? We will find out. Do we know if this time has passed and it's already done? Well, no, that can't be because when we get to chapters 19, 20, and 21, those are the parts that haven't taken place yet because I'm still sitting here behind this table. I don't plan on being here when that comes, and I hope none of you are. I don't, you know. But we have to realize and understand of all things in this book. This is a book of discipleship. This is a book that wants you to know for those who bear the seal of God within them, the dwelling Holy Spirit inside them. You, God wins. You are on the winning team. All of the things that are happening around in us, now you've got the premillennialists, the postmillennialists, the amillennialists. In other words, some are going to be before the great tribulation, some in the middle of the tribulation, some at the, we're all going to heaven at different times, they're saying. And nobody at any time, by the way, once we're all up there, is going to say, see, I told you we were going to come before. No, I knew we were coming after. Nobody's going to be doing that. Well, I'm just going to be amazed that I'm even, I get to be there. I'm just going to be walking around in amazement and thanking God and praising him. We have to come to the con conclusion that first off, God's word is sovereign. That there's nothing more holy than the words that are in this page. Not because of this pages or this translation or because of anything. But it is, as it says in 2 Timothy 3.16, the inspired, the God-breathed words of God. That's what this is. So whatever translation that you use, whatever literation you use to, to understand God's message of love, but, it's, but also his love of judgment, of his judge of peace, his judge of kindness, his judge of truth, his judge of holiness, his, all of those things that are in this book all matter. Every single word in this book matters. When we get to the end there, you're going to see that it says, woe to those who teach this word and don't do it right. Yeah, I get nervous sometimes because nobody told me about that word until after I started teaching it, by the way, just so you know. But I have no fear because I know who tells me what to say and when and how. So I'm going to ask you to do this. We're going to take a break now over the summer. If you desire to continue at the end of summer, I would like for some time, you pastor at lighthousecommunity.com. You can go to there and, and send an email to me and say, hey, Bill, when are we going to start up to, to finish the book of Revelation? Because I would be glad to if we're going to have participation. So I know that it was hard getting for these through these first 13 chapters. But don't worry, guys, you only got 19 more to go. <laughs> okay, you only have nine more to go, not 19. I, just, I was just throwing it out there to see who's listening. And it's an amazing journey the rest of the way. It can get a little hairy at times, but read the words carefully and with wisdom. That's what he asks. I love you all for being with me. Thanks you for, to all of you who've been watching on the stream. It has been an amazing journey. If you also would like to be part of the study in the fall, then please send me uh, some kind of an email at pastoratlighthousecommunity.com. Say, hey, Bill, when are we going to start up again? I would love to know how many people we're going to have involved uh, in the fall if we're going to do it again. And I would love to finish it. 
uh, if you would love to too, please let me know. It's been fun. Let us pray so that we can take a time of rest. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you have given us this book. That through your words of encouragement, your words of, of righteousness, your words of holiness, that you gave to your apostle, your, your servant John, to write down for us in the, 20, in the year 2022. We stand amazed in your presence, God, because not because of all the things you've done for us, but just because of who you are and what you could have done and did not do. So, Lord, I would ask for all of those watching now, watching in the future, that as they read these words and understand this is a book calling them to be closer to you in order to be the light that everybody around them needs to see. May we be that light. May we be that word of encouragement. May we be the light of healing. May we be the voice that somebody needs to hear when they just need to know somebody cares. Father, help us that our heart would break with what breaks yours. I ask for strength, for protection, for all of my dear friends and family, for all those unspoken requests that I, I don't have here. Please allow them to be heard and be held close to your heart and, and answered in your way, God. And until we're together again, Father, we lay everything at the foot of the cross asking it to be used by you for you and everything that we do. And we pray all of these things in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Um, thank you on the stream. God bless you all. Hope to see you in the fall.